This morning, Brother Randy's lessons comes from James chapter 3, verse 8. James 3 and verse 8. But the tongue cannot, can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Certainly it's fair to say how delighted, thankful we are for the presence of each and every individual today. Not only our membership, but certainly the visitors who've come our way. And we certainly hope that each of us will be encouraged, strengthened, and moved forward in the ways of faithful service to our Heavenly Father. We've arrived, of course, at the first Sunday in July, and today's lesson is one that you can see has the following title, The Untamable Tongue. Each and every one of us have an element, a member in our body. It's a fairly small member, actually. And yet, as the Word of God identifies and describes it, it actually used, as you noticed in the lesson text a moment ago, no man can tame it. Let's give some thought this morning to a lesson that will begin with these introductory thoughts, the untamable tongue. You may notice at the very outset, let's define that of which we speak. To tame something means to restrain it, to curb it, to subdue it. And you and I are pretty familiar with using that word in other ways. Perhaps a person tames his or her appetite. Maybe they tame their dog. Maybe they tame other kinds of aspects or characteristics of life. Well, this morning we're going to give some appreciation to taming the tongue. For that reason, at the middle of the slide, would you be impressed with me? Isn't it amazing that the human family has enjoyed a tremendous success for the most part in taming things? In Genesis 1.28, God gave to the human family dominion over this earth. And mankind, for the most part, has used that impressively. We have tamed elephants. We have tamed hippopotamuses. We have even tamed whales, as large and as powerful and as mighty as they are. And yet, into that very discussion comes the fact the inspired writer said, No man can tame the tongue. I'm sure that each of us appreciate the challenge that comes with the tongue the usage of it, the kind of power and influence it can wield, and also the importance and the striving need to strive to tame it. Let's use that text before you. I hope you kept your Bible open to James chapter 3 because we're going to make a number of observations. To get us going in that regard, let me begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse number 8. My brethren... Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great... And are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell." 
For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Now we may reflect on some of the additional verses in just a moment, but at least for now, let's pause at the conclusion of verse 8 and make our first observation. Although it's so obvious... The inspired writer points it out rather directly to us, doesn't he? The tongue is little, but how remarkably powerful it is. Look at some of these thoughts with me. I tried to research and to discern what's the typical weight of the average person's tongue. Maybe, as far as I could tell, it would come into the ballpark of around a tenth of a pound. So compared to the whole weight of the body, obviously, it is an exceedingly small fraction. And yet, as you and I are well aware, how powerful, how influential, how much either damage or good that tongue can cause. For that reason, consider this with me. In verses 3 and 4, the following points are made. We put bits in the horse's mouths. Last Sunday, we considered a lesson involving plowing. And we reminded ourselves on the kind of circumstances from 1 Kings 19 that surrounded, that surrounded that topic. But it's also true that with a bridle, with a bits in a horse's mouth, you can turn that horse left or right. You can cause it to stop or to go. You can cause it to move quickly or slowly. You have control using merely the influence and the force involving the bits. And yet the bit weighs so tiny compared to the overall weight of that whole horse. Isn't that amazing? Look at the ships. Verse number 4. As mighty, as amazingly large as ships are, and yet they are directed by a helm, a rudder if you please. And in so doing, the inspired writer uses that. Please note the beginning words of verse 5. Even so, the tongue. That phrase, even so, just as it is in English and Greek, it identifies comparison. Just like the bits are small compared to the overall movement of the horse, and just like the rudder is small compared to the overall movement of the ship, the tongue may be small, but it can direct and influence and have such a great impact. I've asked you then to quickly appreciate, and we'll have more to say about these later, The tongue, then, can be used in a way that is so good. It can be used in a way that is so positive and in a way that brings about an eternal and everlasting sense of what's right and proper. Although many examples in the Bible could be listed, I chose only two, at least for now. What about Nehemiah for just a moment? In the Old Testament, we find here was a man who learned that Jerusalem was in dire straits. It was shared with him that the city lay in ruins, the wall was no longer there. Nehemiah, I suppose, could have done nothing, but he spoke to the king. He used his language, and in so doing, the king's favor was won, and the king gave him permission to go back and rebuild the walls, to try to reestablish what Jerusalem once was. But you'll note words were a critical part in that entire process. 
What about Paul in Colossians 1.23? Here was a man who, of course, on the road to Damascus, he saw the risen Lord. And he used his language from that point forward to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. In fact, it could be said in Colossians 1.23 that every creature under heaven had heard the blessed message of the gospel. Perhaps in fairness and in conclusion, we might mention Proverbs 15.2. The man who is wise will use his speech correctly. And he will use it in ways that are good. But on the other hand, those who do not use it wisely, those who do not use it in that kind of fashion are said to be fools. You and I each day have a decision, will I behave as the fool in this instance, or will I behave as the one who is wise? But also, not only can the tongue be used to bring about good, what about evil? Well, I've listed a few examples of that one, though many others from the Bible could have been selected. What about Absalom? As the son of David, he chose to utilize his language to subvert the influence of his dad. His dad had to be chased off the throne. He, in fact, fled for his own life due to the evil words of his son. Isn't that terrible? What about Nehemiah chapter 4? These enemies of Nehemiah, they used their words, but it certainly wasn't for good. They tried to hinder, to harm, to cause to come to naught the work at Jerusalem. You and I certainly can close that slide like this. Our words today, it's not just that those words of the ancient Bible characters were significant. May we never forget where you and I stand and the fact that our words are just as critical and that God is listening to every one of them. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 36. By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. For every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Isn't that a frightful scenario? To imagine arriving at the day of judgment, and among the things that come out of the books that are opened, you learn then that every idle word that you spoke, you're going to have to give an account for it. How desperately we need the forgiveness of the blood of Christ to help take care of these things. Lesson number two. Not only is the tongue a little bit powerful, our inspired writer highlights this. One of the matters that was so troubling, according to James chapter 3, was that there were those who were choosing to use their speech in such an evil way. Now, I know we just listed briefly some examples, but to do service to this discussion, let's give our thoughts in the same way the inspired writer did. Verse number 6, the tongue is a fire. What do you think that means? You'll notice that the way that's presented is, it's not that the tongue behaves like a fire, it says the tongue is a fire, directly identifying and characterizing the tongue as a fire. May we give it some thought like this. The tongue is a fire. Now, the first thing you and I can think of is sometimes fire can be used in a good way. You can, in fact, use fire to heat things up and separate what's good from what's not, like gold. 
you heat it up and all the chaff and all the unusable things burn off of it. May I suggest that's not what he's talking about. Because look at the next phrase, a world of iniquity. When he describes the tongue as a fire, he is describing it as something that is not only powerful, but powerful in a bad way. I'm sure we each can readily think of a good example. You know, from time to time, there are forest fires that rage, and it may consume tens of thousands of acres, especially out in the western part of our country. Oftentimes, aren't you somewhat saddened when ultimately they learn what caused it? Somebody flicked a cigarette out their window. From a tiny, smoldering cigarette, you burn up ten or fifteen or twenty thousand acres and destroy homes and buildings. Sometimes, may we appreciate how much damage, how much genuine damage our tongue can cause. The tongue is a fire. You and I have got to think carefully. We need to think before we speak. Because once those words emanate, you cannot take them back. Look at the next language, the next description he uses. Same verse, a world of iniquity. The word world, of course, identifies the fullness of this environment in which we we dwell. And yet, the world of iniquity, how much iniquity is in this world? We all know it's a lot. It seems as though there's evil on every hand, and yet the tongue is here described as a world of iniquity. We must be so cautious and so careful with the words which we speak. I've asked you to notice the definition of that word, iniquity. It literally means evil. It has to do with wrongdoing and sin. So notice with me that our tongue can often be the very foundational matter generating sin, producing it, not only in our life, but sometimes in the lives of others. The next thing in terms of this description comes with this one. The next verse. And the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. The tongue defiles the whole body. But let's face it, there are many members in the body, hands and feet and eyes and other elements as well, and the tongue can defile all of them. It can do so by leading us in terms of both action and reaction in what is not of God. For that reason... The tongue is set on fire of hell. That language is stirring. It really is. And setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Now we just learned a moment ago the tongue is a fire. May I ask, if the tongue is used improperly, what apparently lights the fire? It would seem the verse answers it. Is it not hell? If you and I choose to use our tongue improperly, unwisely, foolishly, it is ultimately the influence of hell that's causing that poor choice. It's causing that particular matter that's so very devilish. One last thing on that slide then is this. Is it any wonder, is it any shock or surprise that Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. 
we are urged and admonished to let no corrupt communication, not just a small amount, but none. That is certainly a lifetime endeavor, isn't it? Regardless how many years we may enjoy a life in Christ, we still, of course, strive to bring into captivity every thought to Jesus, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, and we'll always strive to tame the tongue. As you and I close that slide, one more verse. Ephesians 5, verse 4. There, the church at Ephesus was also struggling with, in some way, the admonition that Paul gave relative to doing away with all foolishness, they were jesting and using their language in a, in a rather frivolous way. There's a time to laugh, to be sure. But didn't Solomon say in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to be serious. May you and I have proper discernment and never make frivolity and triviality out of what is so serious. Lesson number three. In addition to these two, Let's now give some more emphasis to the challenge that's been put before all of us. The challenge to use our tongue wisely, to use it correctly. Let's begin like this. The inspired writer pointed this out in verse 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. That individual who does not offend in word is said to be a perfect individual. Now, the word perfect means complete. That simply identifies the fact that individual has matured to a level in which you could appreciate a grand sense of completion. But notice what words quickly follow. In that passage, the word offend was used. And as you can well tell, I've asked you to note the definition. That means to cause to stumble. How often do you and I use our language in such a way that we cause somebody else to stumble? We say something and it causes a thought to cross their mind that turns out, from their perspective, to be a sinful thought. Now we have to think carefully. We never want to cause someone else to stumble. We never want to be the element that is, in fact, an encouragement to their stumbling. And sometimes our language can fit into that category. Look at some of these matters. Sometimes maturity is a point of consideration. If you and I call someone else to stumble, maybe their faith is far weaker than ours. And we say something that ultimately they take the wrong way, or at least differently than what we intended it, and they are led thus to move in a direction of life that's not good. Churches, of course, have suffered greatly beneath something like this. Somebody says something to someone else, and the person takes it the wrong way, and they get angry and mad, and they leave. And quite often, they start stirring up other elements of trouble amongst that group. Did you hear what he said? I can't believe she said that to me. When all the while, what was said perhaps wasn't in the best choice of language, but it wasn't intended the way it was taken. May I say that we must be cautious, very careful, because we don't want in verse 2 to cause someone else to stumble or be offended. And look at what's next. The tongue in verse 8 is described like this. 
but the tongue can no man tame. I mentioned earlier that even large animals have been successfully tamed. And even at the time the Bible writer wrote, that was already true. It's not just that we've done that in the last few years. At the time James wrote this book in the midst of the first century, he could say every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed. But then he quickly affirms the tongue can no man tame. I'm sure we have each found ourselves in that predicament. Maybe having grown in Christ and matured what you feel to be an impressive amount and suddenly you find yourself in a predicament, a situation, something maybe you didn't see coming and you say something, perhaps quickly, perhaps in anger, and you realize after the fact it was not the thing to say or perhaps it was not the way to say it. And then you realize, I made a mistake. I have injured or harmed that person's impression of the church. I have injured or harmed that person's impression of Christ. And now it will be harder to win them to Jesus because of what I said and the way I said it. For that reason, look at these points. Verse 8, The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil. Now, we learned earlier it is possible to use the tongue in ways that are good, but he's here emphasizing the possible damage that it can cause. That word unruly means restless. It seems to never arrive at a point of tranquility and serenity and finality and ease, but it's restless. It'll rise itself up perhaps in the most unexpected occasions and times. And then verse 8 says, "...it is full of deadly poison." When it does arise in those kind of circumstances, it does so with poison in its thrust. Deadly poison. As you and I close that slide, many examples could be given in the Bible. I've selected only a handful. What about the scene concerning Moses in Numbers chapter 20? Here was a man who was known for his meekness. In fact, he was the meekest man on earth. Numbers chapter 12 tells us. And after leading the children of Israel for some period of time, we arrive at this scene in Numbers chapter 20 when God simply provided the people water out of a rock. But notice what happened in the production of it. God gave Moses instruction, take that rod and speak to the rock. He was to use his language properly. He used it unadvisedly. We read in Psalm 106, He spoke unadvisedly. What did He do? He took the credit to Himself instead of to God. Perhaps that was in a moment of frustration. Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? And it wasn't His power to do it. It was God's. Maybe Moses was just so fed up on that moment. Have you ever been fed up in a moment? I've told you this time and again. And then suddenly you make a very discouraging and rather insulting remark. We've each found ourselves, whether in the job site, perhaps at the home, when we even talk to those that we love, and maybe in a moment of frustration, we say what we dearly regret. But the point might be this, and let's close the slide like this. As you and I 
Although it says that the tongue can no man tame, it does not mean we must not try. It does not mean that we must not give effort to endeavor toward that goal. Because we know God's listening to our speech, and we know that He would urge us to use the tongue correctly. And therefore, in Matthew 5, 48, after hearing Jesus speak, what did they say? They were so impressed that He spoke as one having authority. And then this description is presented. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you notice we are admonished to endeavor to be complete, and that includes our speech. Let's add to that this one in 2 Peter 3.18. We are told on that occasion to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that growth will surely include our language, the speech that we employ. The challenge that's set before us there leads us to this observation. I mentioned we were going to use some of the next verses, and let's go ahead and read that at this point, beginning in verse number 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now that directly, I suppose, can easily come to each of us and hit us rather squarely. Out of the same mouth, he says, ought not be blessing to God and cursing of men. The very men, of course, whom God has made. Isn't it interesting that James, that rather practical writer, said, this just ought not be. And yet sometimes you and I easily appreciate that that's the common occurrence, isn't it? We're quick to arrive at a praise to God, and perhaps we bow our heads in prayer to Him on many times a day. But then, on other occasions, out of that same mouth, we curse men. That inconsistency is very troubling. I labeled it hypocrisy. But either of those words that we use, it reminds us of its basic nature, doesn't it? Let's develop it perhaps like this. The comparison that's there... In verse 11, it is very memorable. Doth a fountain send forth at the same time sweet water and bitter? If you have a fountain that sends forth water, that water won't have both characteristics at the same time. It'll either be water that's good or it'll be water that's bad, but it'll not be both. I know in these parts of the world, we're fairly familiar with these wells that present water that's rather brackish. It's water that just doesn't taste good at all. It's wells that are known for sulfur. Maybe you have one on your property, and you know that's the kind of water it presents, and you don't drink from it. By the same token, there are other wells that are known for water that's cold and rather sweet. He compares our tongue to this. He says, the tongue just shouldn't be used like this. Not to send forth in one moment praise to God, and in another, it causes insults and hurls these things described in verse number 10 and 11. Oh, what a challenge you and I have to strive to use our tongue in a consistent and thankful way. What did James say in verse number 12? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine, figs, 
so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. What a lovely thing to contemplate. The consistency of what a vine presents. We know it always brings forth after its kind. May you and I strive, endeavoring to tame our tongue so that it always is wholesome and used as it ought to be. For that reason, let's close that slide. And notice the tongue certainly ought to manifest a heart that's dedicated to God. Look at how the words are described in these verses. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of mine heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David's plea was that his words and the nature of his heart would be dedicated to the truths and to the nature of God. You and I certainly could wish for that, long for that. That prompts us to consider another lesson, I would confess. Because I saved this one till now. We read a moment ago in verse number 6 that the tongue actually has the capability of defiling. Now this is a strong warning and in fact is a very powerful idea. May we develop it like this. Verse number 6 brings to us the thought then that the tongue can defile the whole body. And that word defile literally means to spot, to stain, to pollute. What the tongue can accomplish. Have you ever been in a position where you hear someone else in the language that they employ? And perhaps you hear not even ten seconds of their language and you have already deduced the kind of person that is. You have concluded what they hold dear, the kind of life that they treasure, and maybe it's a very surly, ungodly kind of life, and you can tell it from the language. May I suggest to each of us the language, it opens up what's in the heart. It tells almost instantly the kind of heart the person's got, what they hold dear, and the kind of things they treasure. But on the other hand, in conversation with someone, and it's easy to note that their language is well guarded, their words are well chosen, they speak with proficiency, and they speak with passion about something of which they love. You can also tell a great deal about what they hold dear as well. On that slide, you may note this. The Bible lists a number of ways the tongue can be used, and let's give some thought to the defiling consequences of these. Backbiting. Backbiting. It is, as the word suggests, to bite back. You say these things about someone in defense of what you perceive them to be saying, and that kind of defensiveness, that kind of tension is described in Proverbs 25 and Ecclesiastes chapter 10 in such a hurtful way. You and I must be cautious. As we listen to things that someone says, if it appears to be offensive, think twice. Are they intending it that way? Could it be possible to take what they're saying in another way? If so, that may be the way they meant it. Ask them about it. Don't just assume that they are insulting you, but rather at least give some consideration to inquiry and make sure of that. But let's add to that this one, tail-bearing and whispering. Call it gossip if you like. 
In this instance, we notice there are people who are speaking things they do not know to be true. They are taking matters which could be factual and drawing conclusions which do not necessarily follow. In other words, it may not actually have happened the way they purport that it did. Now that kind of thing's hurtful. It's very damaging. It can harm reputations, and it certainly destroys trust. Once someone learns that I said that about them, it'll be a long, long time before they ever trust me again. May I say then that that kind of thing is condemned in all those verses that you might notice there, both Old and New Testament. Let's add to that another one, foolishness, Proverbs 19.1. You can use the tongue in just a plain old foolish way. Using it in ways that are not only hurtful, but in ways that are opposed to logic and ways that are opposed to the revelation of God. That kind of foolishness. One more on that slide. Falsehood. I know that we would never wish to employ our tongue to endorse falsehood. But of course, there are many in our world who feel no hesitancy about that. And for that reason, we must be cautious. If we simply repeat what we've heard someone else say, maybe they've said what's false. And if we repeat it, we're only endorsing what really isn't true. Therefore, again, no place for gossip in the life of the person who would wish to please God. That kind of matter closes that slide like this, in anger. It's probably true that one of the quickest ways to be tempted to use our tongue wrongly is to do so in anger. Because we aren't thinking logically, we're thinking emotionally. He hurt me, she hurt me, and I'm going to reply in the same way that he or she has hurt me. Well, notice Jesus said, Do unto others as you would wish them to do to you, not the way they did you. Matthew 7 verse 12, And therefore we must try to calm ourselves, bring ourselves in calmness before we reply. All of this allows us to close the lesson. And it does so with one more slide. There are some admonitions I'd like to end the lesson with. Partly based on some of the things of James chapter 3, but admonitions that the Word of God presents to us about the usage of our tongue in ways that are in fact so worthy of our consideration. First of all, may we be earnest to strive to use words fitly. That means properly. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Proverbs 25, 11. Now that's a lovely image, isn't it? Apples of gold and pictures of silver. When you and I use words rightly, that is what it's really like. It's good to look at, it's wonderful to appreciate, and it brings about such a tasteful thing. By the same token... Words that are pleasant, Proverbs 16, 24, those are highlighted and encouraged. And certainly, pleasant words are words consistent with the Word of God. Thirdly, we should guard our words, Psalm 39, 1. We need to give thought before we use them. Don't just speak without thinking, because again, those words may well be misdirected. One of the strongest statements is Psalm 141, verse 3, wherein the psalmist pled with God to help him guard my tongue so that I do not speak improperly. 
Each day, you and I would wish, of course, to feel exactly that same way. And thus, finally, how wonderful it is to think about the fitting words that Jesus spoke and the encouragement that's ours to have His mind. Let the mind of Christ be in you. And therefore, we ought to have an earnestness and a wish to employ the kinds of words that He did in the way that He did. And those verses, you'll notice near the close of that slide, highlight that truth as well. I hope today that we've each been admonished and encouraged to think about how special and how powerful our words are. And therefore, in, in conclusion to the lesson, the tongue can no man tame, but we must endeavor to try. And as we mature in Christ, we will succeed in many ways at least to choose the right words, to speak the right way, and to speak in the ways that would be a great blessing and benefit to the cause of Jesus Christ. Because as we've learned today, to use our tongue the other way, it's a fire. It's a deadly poison. And we realize how much damage it can do. Today, we'd like to offer the gospel call of invitation. Anyone in the audience that would wish to come, it could well be an issue in language that you'd like God's forgiveness for. Maybe you've spoken things and you know now how regretful it was. And you wish it had never happened. And although you can never take the words back, you can get forgiveness for them. We'd like to pray to God on your behalf, and we'd love to do that today. If it be some other issue in life, maybe it has nothing to do with language. Whatever the case might be, if you're separated from Jesus today, if you've never become a Christian, let today be that day as you believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If you'd like to return to your first love, we'd be honored to pray on your behalf. If you'll repent and confess those things, God will forgive. If we could be of help to you today, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?